0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning. And I'm excited to look at God's Word with you, as as always. And uh, what a special time that we get to look at God's Word and to understand what God says uh, from His Word. And so I'm eager, as always. Would you turn in your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 23. And what I want to do is, I want to launch out from here as this morning we finish up with part three of the biblical characteristics of a biblical church. So, Ephesians chapter five, verse 23. And I want to launch out from here again as we finish up with part three. Of this, um, of this time where we've pressed pause in Luke to focus on the biblical characteristics of a biblical church. And this is so important for you to know these truths. It's so important for you to know what are the biblical characteristics of a biblical church and what are not those characteristics. Um, so... If you haven't been with us in part one and two, I highly encourage you to go back and listen. And uh, again, next week we're going to pick back up with and continue making our way through the Book of Luke. And uh, as we'll also add back our monthly memory verse. Okay, I know that each month uh, you know that we cover really in the beginning of each sermon, but also just throughout the week each. Of our uh, members of our church we 're memorizing a a passage of scripture together, and i 'll usually take the time before the the sermon um, to either touch on it or recite it or maybe even teach through it so we'll we'll pick back up with that as well next time um, but But we're going to be finishing here these biblical characteristics, and again, this is so important for you to identify these characteristics, for you to know them, for you to be able to teach others, um, advise others, talk about these characteristics with others, and then again we'll pick back up with Luke in our memory verse next time. Let me also say this before we just read Ephesians um, 5, 23 and jump right in, I I want to... I want to just briefly mention, because I mentioned the memory verse, the um, the year-long Bible reading plan. Are you still doing that? Yes? Yes, a lot of hands going up. Okay, so listen, I want to encourage you to finish that out, because I don't know if you know this, but the new year is approaching. So it's been a year since, almost a year since we've started that, and so many people have uh, have told me about where they're at in that journey, and actually uh, people come up to me and show me that they've finished Already, So they're ahead of schedule, right? They're the, the more godly ones in this church. They get special privileges. Um, just kidding. But, but there's also some that are behind, and that's okay. But what I want to encourage you with is to finish that up by the end of January. We're going to give one month uh, a kind of gap, leeway gap. And then I'm going to start something new in the beginning of February for our church. And it's going to be a two and a half year plan. And it's going to allow you to know the New Testament really, really, really well. So instead of reading a lot and getting through the whole Bible, it's going to be, um, it's going to be kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, you still read a good portion, but um, it's going to allow you to have so much familiarity with the Bible, so that you don't read it and you're like, I know I read that, but I, for, I forgot. You're gonna, I want you to know the New Testament like the back of your hand. And so we're going to start that, that in, in February. So I just want to encourage you with the Bible reading plan. If you're, if, you're co- if you're going along with it, I mean, finish this thing up by, by the end of January so we can, we can start. So, all right, we're going to get back to Luke. We're going to get back to the memory verse. Finish up your, your Bible reading plan. Now let's move into this discussion on the church. And uh, read these familiar words in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, as a bit of a launching pad into our study. Ephesians 5, 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. As we launch into the last three characteristics of a biblical church, I want to first start with this perspective As we've been launching out and kind of sobering up our minds and recalibrating ourselves on the importance of the church before we even get into the characteristics. And so we're launching out from here and we see three foundational features about the church before we even get into the practical characteristics. We see three things in in this one verse. First, that Christ is the head of the church. These won't be on the screen, but just listen. Christ is the head of the church, or you can write them down as well, but... Second, the church is the body of Christ. And third, Christ is the savior of the church. Okay, this is where we start to gain perspective. So we're not just talking about practicalities and events and etc. We're talking about the church of God, the church of Christ. And from this one verse, we see three things. Christ is the head of the church. The church is the body of Christ. And Christ is the Savior of the church. So let's take these one at a time for just a few minutes before we get into the last three characteristics. First, Christ is the head of the church. Colossians eight says this, and he is the head of the body, the church. Christ is the head of the church. Now, Ephesians 1.22 says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as a... Head as head over all things to the church. So we understand that Christ is the head of the church. This tells us some things. It tells us that Christ rules in his church. It tells us that Christ is in charge in his church. It tells us that the church is to follow Christ. That is to say, that the church is to obey Christ in every way. The church is Christ's. It follows Christ's example. It follows Christ's teachings. It follows Christ's commands. The church is loyal to Christ. The church loves Christ. The church serves Christ. The church displays Christ. And the church proclaims Christ. The church is not to obey man or culture or self or pragmatic ideas or practical, effective methods. It is to just simply follow, be faithful to, obey Christ. That's the only job of the church. That's the only goal of the church. And so he is the head, meaning there's leadership. He's he's ahead. He's the head. He's the leader, so to speak. But you also get this imagery here with the idea of him being the head. It's leadership, and then there's imagery to it. And so the church is to have the mind of Christ. We're to put off the old self. We're to renew our minds. We're to have the mind of Christ. That's what you are to have as a believer, too. That's what you're growing in. Some people wonder what the point is of their Christian life after they're saved. Listen, you are being sanctified. You're putting on the mind of Christ, meaning your old thoughts and ideas and ways about life and the world and and the parenting and marriage and et cetera, they're going away. And you're renewing your mind based upon the truth. And so this is the, the, the imagery here that the church has the mind of Christ, his mind, his truth, his words. That's what leads the body to function. That's what tells the body how to move and how to act. It's the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ comes out in the words of Christ. The words that we find in this book. And so any church that would give direction apart from the word of God is just silly. It's not a church. It's just a business. It's an organization that might have a lot of people. Ephesians 4 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joint and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That means this. Listen now. Leave that verse on the screen for a second. Listen, this is how this functions. The whole body is connected to the head, which is Christ. He gives the authority, the directive. The body doesn't function without the mind, which causes each part to therefore get stronger. It's equipped as it hears the words of Christ. And then as each part gets stronger, the body starts to function properly. And then the church will eventually become fully grown and mature and holy like Christ. Picture it like this. If you were to draw a body, the head is Christ. The joints and the the ligaments and the tendons, that's what's being equipped. That's the church being equipped with the truth, with the word, that gets stronger. The members of the body, the hands, the foot, the arms, the the legs, the the knees, that's the the members of the church, the believers. And so as the head, with his words and his mind, equips the, the joints, the ligaments, and then the body, the members start functioning right, they can move right, they start acting right, the body then just grows and everyone's functioning right, acting right because the mind is dictating what happens to the body. The ligaments are strong and the body is effective. And so this is the picture here. So all the church, as the church, we must recognize Christ's position. It's, that's, that's what's being said here. There's a position, there's levels to this and he's on the top level, right? And so he's the head. 1 Corinthians 11 says, I want you to understand that the head of every man, here's where we get this, here's, here brings clarity to the idea here. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is their husband. The head of Christ is God. You see this? This is kind of the picture here. This, is, this brings clarity as what head is referring to. He's the leadership. Christ is the head of the church. Listen now, no one, nothing, nothing else holds the authority. He's the one we follow. He's the leader of the church. The, the, church, the, the, the scriptures tell us that he's the bridegroom. We're the bride. The scriptures tell us that he's the head. We're the body. Uh, the, the scriptures tell us that he's the master and refers over to a hundred times in the New Testament that the believers are the doulos in Greek, meaning the slaves. We're slaves of Christ. So he's the bridegroom, we're the bride. He's the head, we're we're, we're the body. He's the the master, we're the slaves. That's how this works. Therefore, the church should not drift from Christ's instructions. It's simply to just follow Christ. Oftentimes, the church drifts from his instructions but still names the name of Christ. We're a Christian church, but they've drifted from Christ's instructions in his word. Does that make any sense? And so we are operating not on human wisdom on worldly wisdom, Uh, we're operating nothing on fleshly goals, but Christ and his words and what he says. He's the head of the church. So listen now, the the, the church starts with Christ and this church stays with Christ. You're not in the church and a believer in Christ unless you come in through Christ. And then you don't leave Christ, you stay with Christ. It's a contradiction to call a place a church when Christ is not constantly looked to as the head. Positionally, perpetually, and permanently. You're not a church. You're not Christ's church. So we don't use the world's methods. We don't use the world's opinions. We don't use the world's standards. We don't have the world's goals. We don't seek to be accepted or liked by the world. That's not the goal. So many churches right now say, they're gearing everything towards, I just want, we, we, gotta, we can be liked by the world, accepted by the world, kind of become one of them. And, and that's not the goal. Whether or not the world likes you or not, your goal is simply as the church to just be faithful to Christ, just be humble. It's pride that says anything else. We're humbly faithful to Christ. And if he makes us great, then great. And if he doesn't, we're still great, right? In his eyes, we don't have any fleshly worldly goals here. We're just wanting to be faithful Faithful to Christ. We don't have the world's goals. We don't seek to be accepted by the world or make it into the world's system in some winsome way. We're just being faithful to Christ. We value his opinions, his standards, his goals to be accepted by him, to stay in his system. That should be your real goal. You don't have time to worry about anything else. Make sure you stay in the faith till you die and make sure that our church stays in Christ and in the word of God to the end that's the real goal we don't got time to worry about anything else your salvation depends on it if the church drifts from the primacy and the priority of christ it's just an institution it's just an institution we follow the philosophy of our lord we don't or else we'll cease to be a church we're formed by christ we're for christ and we stay connected to christ that's the goal and that's the picture so first, we see Christ as the head of the church. Second, what we see is Christ as the head of the body, the church, and so therefore, the body, uh, the church is called the body of Christ, right? He, he's, uh, this is the picture here. So let's look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. So we see that first Christ is the head of the church, and then we see the church is, secondly, the body of Christ. Now, understand this here, The church is the body of Christ. That's what we're called. And this points us to a few realities. that It's just important that we understand. Before we get into any practicalities, listen now. The body of Christ is is the the term for the church. That means a lot of things. But first, a body has one spirit. Right? So this is the idea here. As the body, we have one spirit. Think about this. Everyone in here, if you're in Christ, if you know Christ, if you're following Christ, you have one spirit, one common spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, right? The third member of the Trinity. We have one spirit. And so so we're made alive through one spirit. Secondly, true believers then are placed into Christ's body. That's what this means. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this, for in one spirit, you were all baptized into one body. That means this, it's not referring to your water baptism, it's referring to the fact that when you come to know Christ, you are placed into the body of Christ. Baptism, baptize, it just means to place into. That's what the word means in the Greek, to place into, which is also to say that if you baptize by any other means, it just doesn't even make any sense, because that's literally what the word means, to place into right? So we're baptized into the body of Christ. We're part of his body. We become part of this group, so to speak. The moment you come into salvation, you become part of Christ's body. And you have one spirit with the other believers. And this group means that you are part of God's people, the elect, the set apart, the holy ones who are set apart for God, who have been saved by Christ, right? But then thirdly, this idea of body has a function to it right? The body, you have a a group, can mean a group. The imagery gives us the picture of one spirit, but then it also points us to this functionality, a body, right? The body points us to the symbolic image of a body functioning, and then it's nourished. It receives nutrients, and it receives nutrients from Christ. Colossians 2 says this, that it's speaking in context of some who were not doing this. Holding fast to the head. Who's that? Who's that? Christ. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So the body grows. John 15 says this. Listen now. Remember, you guys all know this probably very well. The vine needs to stay uh, the branches need to stay connected to the what? To the vine. Apart from that, you can't do anything. So this body has one spirit, right? It's, it's, it's one body. Uh, it's, it's a group. And it's connected to the head, which is Christ. Apart from him, we can't do anything. So listen now. There's organizations that call themselves churches. You can meet. You can add to your numbers. You can do things. You can raise enough money. You can stay busy with activities. But listen now. The body disconnected from the head is dead. It's dead. If the word is not the 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 the, the main focus in every meeting, in every discussion, in every group, in every everything, then the body's just dead. It's not a it's not connected to Christ. It's not a church. And so again, finally, we got to understand here that there's this functionality. I want to stay on this for just one more minute. The body image that we're talking about, body image, no pun intended here, but the image here, the members of the body, right? You got hands, feet, eyes, you got this group, you got one spirit, it's being nourished, it's functioning. Here's how it happens. Listen, listen now. It's equipped by the word, and then it functions to serve the rest of the body. And it accomplishes this for the head. It's fueled by the spirit. It's equipped by the word. And then it performs acts of service together. So this is not hard to figure out, right? It, it, it's, it's, uh, we're doing things together to serve one another, right? And let me tell you, it's not hard to figure out what you should do. The picture is here in the whole New Testament that the the teachers, the pastors, they show, just show up teach and, and shepherd throughout the week. And the only reason that the body's actually functioning as a unit, as a family, is because it's just, it's just taking initiative to serve one another or else the body doesn't even function. So the members are being equipped and they're serving one another. And it's functioning together to build each other up. That's the picture here. You don't need a gift test to figure out what to do. Gift tests are not even biblical, by the way. You just serve each other. Figure out what you're good at. Figure out how you can be effective for the kingdom. What do you like to do? How can you lift up each other, right? And so others are helped when you do something. And the head is glorified. Think about that. When the body does something great, like in the Olympics or something like that, who gets all the glory? The head. The head does. The head's the one on the camera, right? The the head's the one on TV. The body functions and does all this great stuff, and then who gets all the glory? The head does, Right, it's not fair to the body. The body likes that. The body wants that, right? Especially the body of Christ. So the body is this living organism which works together, different parts of the body doing work of the ministry to serve each other. 1 Corinthians 12 says this. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That means the, the, the Spirit shows itself, right? To be manifest is to be seen, to be visible. So here, now, by the way, let me say this too. Uh, we've been convicted and even listening to a, a, a recent podcast, that there can be oftentimes too much structure and I'm geared towards structure. So, so we wanna put structure everywhere around here to help, right? But there could be too much structure, the structure and the church should only be there to support the work of the Spirit. So the pastors and the elders are showing up teaching, preaching, shepherding. The body only functions because the members are serving one another and figuring out how to get the word out and how to, uh, to work together, to live together by the Spirit moving in each believer's life. And the structure then just comes into support that. It's only necessary in what supports the continued service of of the church to each other. You're just helping each other. It's these people living together, serving one another, helping one another, functioning and saying, hey, we, we wanna do this. Hey, we wanna do that. Hey, we need this. Hey, we can help each other in that way. It's just the Spirit's just working in the believers as they serve one another. And then they're being taught and shepherded by the, the elders. And, uh, and that's just the way it goes. And the structure should just support it. It should be a lot more organic than, than often we see and, and probably than even we see here. And so we need our members to function like this. You're the body of Christ. You're just serving one another. There's no. There's, sometimes we put too many too many uh, hurdles in place to where if you even wanted to serve somebody, you can't even figure out how to get to point one, two, three, four, five, and six to even serve somebody else. Right? That's not helpful for the body, and that's not the way that the body's pictured here. So, thirdly, we see that Christ is the Savior of the church in Ephesians five twenty three. The body is himself, or, or Christ is himself. What the? It's what. Savior. So let me just say this, because this is obvious. All of this applies to only believers. The church is just the believers. So Christ is the head. The church is the body. And these are people who have been saved by Christ. That's the picture here. The church is made up of those who have been saved. There's always going to have unsaved people in there, but the true church is just those who believe. Those who have entered and become part of the body through Trusting in who? Christ. That's the only way you enter into the body. So it's people who have made Christ their savior. This, he, Christ has made entrance into the body possible through his life, his death, his resurrection. Right? And uh, they've repented of their sins. They've placed saving faith in Christ. And they've got forgiveness for their sin and right standing before God. Those are the, that's the church. Those are the ones who are in Christ, the ones who are part of, of the church. And so Peter says this, look at this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's the church. You understand? You understand? Those who have been saved by Christ. So the church, listen now, is a holy, set-apart people. This is what we learn. Listen, before we get to these biblical characteristics, let me just recap this. From Ephesians 3, as we've launched out in Sermon 1, we learned that God is working in his church. God deserves all glory in his church. And this should be the way it is every gen- with every generation. We learned that as we launched out in week one of this. Second week, we learned from Revelation 19. The church will be embraced by Christ. The church will be ready to be embraced by Christ. And the only ones who will be blessed forever are those who are invited to the marriage banquet of the Lamb. You remember this? And now this week, we've learned as we launch out that Christ is the head of the church, the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the savior of the church. I mean, all these big truths paint a sobering picture of what this really is and what we're really doing and where we're really going. You guys got it? Yeah? Clear as mud? Watch it now. Okay. Now, let's move into these last three characteristics. Okay, I'm trying to keep us on pace here. How do we get to these characteristics? Let me just state these. Number one, we should be, as believers, people who care about Christ's body. That means that we should be caring about the saved church, people coming into it, believers in Christ. But secondly, the local assembly. If you're born again, you care about the body of Christ. And what do you care about the local assembly? You care that it's a biblical church and you care about being connected to it. This is the, this is the picture. This is the argument that gets us to these, to these characteristics. Number two, then if we should be people who care, then God should make clear what he requires for us to obey. And he does. How does he make things clear for us? Through his what? Through his word. So we should be, number two, people who find expectation, the expectations of Christ's body in God's word. Right? This is pretty simple. You tracking with me? Okay. Number three, then we should ask the, questions, the question, what are the biblical characteristics of a biblical church? right so if it's we should find the truth in his word then what does his word say that would be a good next question right okay so so far we've covered well the word says that the a true church a biblical church is committed to number 1 the supremacy of god we've talked about that at length number 2 the authority of scripture we've talked about that at length number 3 the priority of holiness we've talked about that at length now there's a fourth characteristic of a biblical church and this is the one we're going to spend most of the time on and then we're going to touch on the last two. Is that is the church must be committed to number 4, a biblical church to the plurality of qualified eldership and the the accountability of qualified membership. Now, this is big, so get ready, okay? Like if you need to wake yourself up, shake your head or something. Cuz this is really important. All of this is extremely important. Okay? There are two, let's start with this leadership here because we've talked, we're, we're talking about two categories, leadership and, and followership. That's it's not a word, but you're not even, you, you there? Here we go, ready? You guys would laugh at that, okay? That's a joke. There are two biblical offices, right? First, which the church must have. The first is elders and the second is deacons. So a church should have elders and deacons and they should be called elders and deacons because that's what the Bible calls them, okay? So these two offices then have qualifications. The elders are to be primarily a plurality, meaning that they're equal in authority, differing in roles. There's not to be a single elder or a lead elder with all the decision-making power. That's dangerous. You don't wanna go in a place like that. Elder qualifications are pretty simple. They're found in 1 Timothy and Titus. And then we also have supplemental principles of what an elder must be and do, and we see that in the other epistles. So this just to say that not everyone who calls himself a pastor is a pastor, right? Um, You just, you gotta be qualified by the scriptures, not by just wanting to have that position. Or even if there's a group of people who, who say you have that position. The scriptures qualify. So what do they say? Just because I want you to walk away from the series. I want this three-part series to be a a package that you can just come back to. You can take those three messages and send them to your friends or your family members or come back to them and listen. We're gonna just, I wanna try to understand everything, which is why I'm moving fast here because we got a lot to to get through. Here's the qualifications. If you ever wondered where they were, 1 Timothy chapter three, verses one through seven. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So there's an aspiration for it. You aspire to be in this position. Therefore, an overseer must be look at this, you ready? Above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And able to teach there is not just like they can get up and command an audience. They have the right meaning of the scriptures when they teach the scriptures, right? Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now, if you were to study these these terms in the Greek, you would see how much they really come alive. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church, the God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he must, might become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. Now we see Titus 1. Here's the other picture, which is very similar, it overlaps. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So in the church, there should be order and elders appoint elders. That's how, that's how we see this functioning. Verse six, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So you got to hold firm to this word so that you may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it so this again is so important that this teacher holds true, fast to the true doctrine of the word And I wanna show this related to that last part. This is kind of not really ever shown, but look at this. This is why the teacher must be able to instruct in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate and empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. That's what was deceiving at that time, but there's different deceivers at this time. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths or today, just any myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth, right? Uh, Commands of of people who turn away from the truth. So now this is is the idea here, right? And so it's pretty clear here that this deals with the eldership, deals with character and teaching. That's it, right? Now, Now, stay with me here. This is what makes a true pastor. Now, let me tell you, if you were to look throughout all the scriptures, there's there's elements that come into play for the true leader of the church, leaders of the church. Listen, there's calling. So the leader must be called by God. There's compulsion. He must have a desire for the role. We've seen this. There's conviction. And what I mean by conviction is for the truth. You can't help but say, here's the truth, the people gotta know the truth, right? If you got a pastor who's motivated by anything other than conviction for the truth to get out to the to people, then there's wrong motivation. So there's calling, there's compulsion, there's conviction, then there's character. The character matches these biblical qualifications. There's competency, which is the ability to teach, truly. And then there's this confirmation that comes from The church. So calling, compulsion, conviction, character, competency, confirmation. And then this man is in this role. So now let me move from this on to the next step. Stay with me, okay? The only authority that the pastor has in the church is the Word of God. Okay? That's the only authority that the pastor has in the church because they are studying. They are teaching. They are understanding according to sound doctrine. So in other words, they are already processing in their minds, what does the scripture say about everything? What does the Bible say about your situation? And they have sound interpretation. So they have authority as God puts them in authority because they are guiding you and guiding people, the sheep, in the word. And as they come to them. Does that make sense? They're they're saturated in the word of God and they're instructed. Their job, their role is to just guide the sheep into the word, by the word. They're teaching, they're guiding. So listen now, this is important because the, the pastor has no other authority outside of that. So if your pastor is not using the word in every form of guiding and help and instruction and counsel, then it's just a man's ideas. That they're not any better than your ideas. It's not because he's more famous, more liked. He's got more followers on whatever. He, you know, he's, because he's older, so he's got more wisdom. It, that, none of that matters. You don't follow any man unless what he's instructing you in is exactly in the word of, the, the word of God. That's just, that's a cult. That actually is what makes up a cult. Right? And so there are plenty of leaders who, who we're a church, we veer from the word of God, and I'll instruct you by my insight into leadership of all the books that I've read. That's a cult. That's not a church. The insight has to be coming from the word of God at every point of instruction, or else you are following a man's thoughts or ideas or philosophies. That's the only authority that the, that the pastor has in the church that's when you submit to an elder for your life, right? And you don't just say every time, like, okay, like how much is he using the word every time? You are submitting to an elder who is saying, or elders who are saying at large, our only job is to shepherd you through the word of God. And therefore you give your life to being underneath that. Does this make sense? You following? Okay. We're going to get this all out. So, Just stay with me. Keep saying that. I guess I'm assuming you're not with me. (laughs) So listen, the truth. Now, the truth also has to be right. Did you know the devil uses scripture? The devil disguises himself as an angel of what? Light. And the issue is, is that he uses the scriptures to support his own what? His own agenda, his own thoughts, his own ideas, his own desires. But just because a Bible verse is attached to something doesn't mean that it's true. Because it may not be true, accurate, contextual, historical, literal, authorial in its meaning, in its intent. So 2 Timothy 2 says that the pastor must do his best to present himself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Look at this. Rightly handling the word of truth. If he says that, there must be a what? wrongly handling the word of truth. Do you understand? So this is the authority that he has and it must be right interpretation. So it's not just like, well, he's using a Bible verse. I guess he's got, it. I guess he's got authority. No, it's gotta be right interpretation, the right meaning. The authority that the pastor has and the life that you're living and submitting to that pastor is because he's rightly understanding and teaching the word of truth. So you put yourself perpetually under his leadership. If you have a leader who's not doing this, leading out of his deep knowledge of the word, then you're following a man. And he's teaching from some other source of wisdom. And so listen now, this must be true. Do you know, and I told some guys this this past weekend, John 8, it refers to Satan as the father of what? John eight forty four Lies. So this is very insightful for us. Because this means that the main tactic of Satan is what? Lies. Lies. So what do you think the most important thing is for the, for the Christian to contend for? The truth. There's only one thing that defeats lies, and that's the truth. So that's, that's why this is so important. Listen, it's, it's what will derail the Christian. It will cause the Christian to dishonor God. It will steal away from God's glory. It will defame Christ. It will lead the world astray. It will cause people to think they're born again when they're not. False ideas, false teachings, false doctrines, false guidance, false methods. What do you think we gotta fight most for? The truth. The truth is the most powerful force in God's kingdom. And it's the only thing that saves. People come to salvation through a knowledge of the what? Truth. And that's how you grow in Christ as well. So if you wonder why we spend so much, we've spent so much time in this series, like, wow, we are really you know, exploiting the other side. Yes, we are in this series. In these three weeks, my goal is to be polemical, is to warn in addition to teach. Why? Because those lies should be blasted as schemes from hell. They really should. And this is what is so important. And some people say, listen, now, we're about pointing out what's right, not about what's pointing out, pointing out what's wrong. That's, there's whole philosophies in that. Let me just tell you. That doesn't make any sense. You do that in your parenting? Right? No. And can I also tell you, I, I'll just, I was just studying it this morning as I was in my office and I was like, you know what, I don't know. I, I saw a plaque on my wall that points to, I probably don't have time for this, but I'm gonna show you anyway. I was studying in my office, and um, this morning I was just praying, and I was looking at this plaque that, uh, you know, it says, it's 2 Timothy 4, through 2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of living and the dead, preach the word, right? And, and then it says, it describes in almost the next sentence what preaching is. And it says this, so I'll just read it to you, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now, it's, it's, there's a semicolon there. So this is almost what, this is what, pre, uh, in a sense, what preaching is in a minute. Be ready in season, out of season. Hold on, sorry, it's right, right after that. Now, here's what they're to do, which is equivalent to preaching. Look at this, ready? Reprove, rebuke, and what? Exhort, and then there's complete patience and teaching. So I started looking up just a few minutes before the service, what the Greek words meant in all of these In in this paragraph, in this sentence. I don't know why, just inquisitive. Maybe just direction of the Lord. Reprove, put that word together. Re what? Prove. You are, reproving is not helping someone along or correcting them. That comes later. Reproving is, you're proving that someone is what? Wrong. It's the proof. It's the proof of finding fault, right? And then rebuke is to say, that is not to be tolerated. And then exhort is to plead to go the other way, right? And so that's what preaching is. It's a reproving, it's a rebuking, and it's an exhorting. And then there's this complete patience, which means to be long-tempered, meaning to let people over the years, they're they're not getting it, 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 right? Keep letting them come along. And then there's teaching. And so to say the idea, I bring that all up to say the idea that we're about showing what's right and not what's wrong. Again, you don't do that in your parenting. And that's not even what preaching is or what it means to to be faithful to the word. We're looking at what's wrong. And so this is really important for you to understand that all of these things should be blasted because they're not right, they're wrong. And the truth is what damns people to hell. You understand? You with me? I guess I'm assuming you're not with me again. So what the most dangerous thing are for the church is lies and not even lies outside the church. Those are easy to refute, but lies also inside the church. So listen now, the elder who leads anything with anything less than the truth has no authority. You gotta lead by the word of God. He oversees the flock. He oversees with biblical authority. He's been gifted to the church. His job, then, is to teach the saints to become holy, to grow in the knowledge, to shepherd Right, First Peter 5 says this, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and the witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So listen now, the elder doesn't look past the flock, he looks to the flock, Okay. Which is evidence of church membership. The goal is not to look to the visitor. The goal is to look to the members, and then the visitors will realize they're outside and their need to come in. Okay? So listen now. If this is a place that has all this in place, qualified elders teaching only the word, the flock is understanding this, then the flock is commanded to this Hebrews 13, obey their leaders. And submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. For that would be of uh, no advantage to you, right? So listen now, the qualified elders then are to do this. Acts 20 says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. And he, then the pastor doesn't just let anything fly here. He does this, 1 Timothy 4. Keep a close watch on yourself, so the characters got to line up, and the what? Teaching, persist in this, and so, for so by doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is how this functions. Now, as we move along, and, and we're, I don't know what we're going to do, but we got to stay with this, Okay. I don't know what we're going to do time-wise, but we got to just stay with this. The elders aren't accountable then to all elders. I mean, to all Christians. And all Christians aren't accountable to all elders, right? So when it says obey your leaders, submit to them, you don't obey every elder. The members, uh, the elders aren't accountable for every Christian. Uh, so, So what I want to just tell you here is is membership, the the, the words church membership, that's not what the scripture uses, but the principles are everywhere, everywhere. And so to deny church membership is silly, right? But let's move now into the deacons, okay? This is so important. The elders are to care for their flock. I see sometimes like churches, you know, do various things like, I don't know, child dedication or something where all these non-members get to come and be part of that, how in the world could that be possible? How are the elder gonna make sure that the, 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 and shepherd that person to disciple their children long-term if they're not committed to be under the elder's care long-term? That doesn't make any sense. Church membership is, is clear, right? But let's move to deacons. Let me just say this so you have clarity. First Timothy 3, here's the qualifications. There's other places like Acts 6, like Romans 16, Here's the qualifications. 1 Timothy 3 says this. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons and prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith. Let me just say this, so there's the qualifications for deacons. Women, it says here, they're wives, and you wonder, well, are men are women allowed to be deacons? That word "wives" in the Greek is not. this isn't uh, translated very well. The word "wives" there is it's is rightly under-translated either women or wives. And since in the original Greek, there's no there, right? It's just women, or it's just wives, right? So this wouldn't be the deacon's wife. Or this, this wouldn't be only referring to men who have wives. This is also women, where the idea is that there are deaconesses in the church. And Acts 6 shows us that as well. But here's even more proof of that. If there were to be a qualification for, an el- for a deacon's wife, what do you think there would be also a qualification for? An elder's wife, and there is none. So we can get more into that. If you have questions, and we can talk about it, but that's how we, why we have women deacons here, where elders, uh, the, uh, the role of an elder is, um, is reserved for, for male. So let's move to membership, and we're just gonna finish out with this because of time, probably. And what I'll do is... Um, Maybe it's something that I have an idea, which I'll tell you at the end. So let's just move, keep moving here. They aren't accountable. Listen, the, the members are not accountable for everyone who comes. The, the elders are not accountable for everyone who comes in the door. Members have elders. They don't submit to every elder. There's, this points us to Membership. There's a commitment to each other. There's a regular gathering. There's a serving. There's a giving to each other. The principles are everywhere. And if you come to our membership, you'll learn about this. But let's first start with this. Where should you choose to become a member? What must you look for in membership? Well, Steve Lawson says this. It's definitely not style over substance. It's definitely not drama over doctrine. And it's definitely not entertainment over exposition. Right? Look for the right things. We look for the right things. It might not be the most entertaining place in the world. Right? But it's right. That's what you got to care about most. Things won't matter when the trumpets sound. The only thing that's going to matter is the truth. Right? So then to become a member, you must have true salvation. And you must have active obedience. Not perfection, but direction. Now listen now. By the way, what keeps people out of membership and where we get really skeptical is where there's a lack of humility there seems to be some kind of hiddenness behind the scenes. There is some form of hypocrisy. It doesn't mean that you have to have a perfect past. Actually, the ones who don't have a perfect past, but genuinely want Christ to just change them, to be restored. They wanna become part of the church. They wanna change. I'm like, come on in, right? But, there, but the ones who, there's something going on there. There's pride. There's, there's a danger to the flock. Let's just say that. Those are the ones you're really skeptical about. You gotta agree doctrinally and you wanna submit and then you wanna contribute in service. So listen, the church leadership, can I tell you this? Has the authority to draw the lines in the scripture as to whether or not to put members in place, allow members in or to not. And you see that in Matthew 18, Matthew 16 and John 20, right? Whatever you... um, Bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you lose. I mean, the church has, the, has measures the things by the scripture and determines whether someone's in the faith in a lot of ways, right? They can get this wrong, they're not perfect. And whether or not someone should be in the congregation. Therefore, in some ways, it's an affirmation of someone's salvation. So when you're admitted to membership, that's a really great thing. It's not that they're the authority, right? It's not like the Catholic church where you have to be in the church in order to be, Uh, saved. But in some ways, admittance to church membership is an affirmation of salvation that should bring confidence in your life. So now listen to this. Let me say this. Uh, uh, We're we're pretty much almost done with this this one here. So let me tell you this. Church discipline then is an absolute necessity to be a biblical church. 100% necessity. Why? Because as the believers are the ones who are the Actual what? Church, church discipline ensures that believers that the church remains a group of what? Believers. It has to be, or else this church becomes not a church. It becomes believers and non-believers, which is not a church. You understand? Unbelievers are always welcome here. You should if you're if you are an unbeliever. I'm glad you're here. Keep listening to the truth because it is the truth. But listen now. The church discipline is a necessity because you can't admit someone to membership say yes great follow you're a believer and then just like not watch their life and then they show evidence of being a non-believer and then you just accumulate a bunch of people who are non-believers in the church and your church becomes then this mixture and like the church has to remain the church which is believers. So church discipline, Matthew 18, just tells us how this is done. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between him and you alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your your brother. Perfect. That's a sign of a believer. When you rebuke them because of their sin, they say this. They say, wow, that's what the word says. I gotta repent. That's what a believer would do, right? You tracking? All right. Verse 16, that was more convincing. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. At that point, you would think a believer says, wow, this is true in the scriptures. I got to repent. Verse 17 says, then if he refuses to listen, tell it to the what? This is the second time the church was mentioned in the New Testament. By the way, it's about church discipline. This is the second time that Jesus mentions the, the church. He's concerned with the church staying the church, the church being the true church. He's not concerned with methods. He doesn't, the second time he talks about the church in the New Testament isn't about tactics. It's about it being remaining believers. So this is Jesus, by the way, saying this. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, then let him be as a Gentile tax collector. He can't, there's no evidence of a believing, of someone who's genuinely born again, if he sees the word of God, hears from the church and says, nah, I'm gonna continue to live in my sin. Right? Then you try to reach them. You take them out of the the. the the membership because they're not a believer, and then you try to reach them with the gospel as a lost person. Does this make sense? So, this is how to function, and it, here's where again it shows that the church leadership has really the authority is the ones who are doing it. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three uh, are, uh, agree on earth about anything that um, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where there are two or three gathered in my name, There I am among them. That verse is often taken out of context, huh? It's in the context of church discipline. You agree on it. So in Acts chapter five, you see Ananias and Sapphira, which was really the first act of church discipline. And there they're killed. And then you know what it says just a few verses later? The church grew more than it ever did because the church was kept pure. So, here's this is First uh, Peter says that judgment begins with the household of God. First Corinthians says there's no po- that uh, that we don't judge those outside the church. We judge those where inside. There's no point to judge those outside the church. Of course, they don't know Christ. It's the inside that we are to judge. And so, most churches ask, how do we close the back door? Right? It's a common phrase. Mark Dever in What Is a Healthy Church? Which, by the way, there's three books here what is a healthy church? Welcome to Reformed Church, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Would love for you guys, they're gonna be out there in the lobby, not for you to buy today, but on the library where you can see them and flip through them if you want. But I encourage you to order them or or we can order them for you. Um, But he says this, he says uh, that most, while most churches are asking, how do we close the back door? We should be asking, how do we guard the front door? And we gotta open a little bit more of the back door. Right, because that's how the church stays pure. And so we set the bar high for membership. James 4 says this, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself a what? Enemy of, of God. And so there's nothing more important than the church staying the church. Pure. God wants a pure church. God wants a holy church. He wants his church to be the church, the set apart church. And then listen, now let me say this last thing in this category is that the saints then, as they're members of the church are doing the work of the ministry. There was an article that was put out by Grace, about Grace Community Church in 1972 that called it the church with 900 ministers. And it was, there was 900 members. And this is the picture is that this church will come alive. Thing needs that are, need to be met, prayer gatherings, prayer during our services, food being taken to people in need, prayer for those who need help, etc. Our church will become the church when we stop thinking that the leaders are the ones who do the ministry. And you stop. Coming through all these processes to, for that to happen, and starts realizing that the church—the only way that it functions or does anything—is because they serve each other, and they raise up by the as the Spirit leads to do the work of the ministry. The, I'm just here to teach you and to pray for you and to shepherd you, right? And all of our elders—that's what we spend our time on. So this place stays a beacon of truth. And then the members, this is just life that's happening and serving one another and saying, hey, we need this. Hey, we need that. Hey, we need to get our teaching over here. Hey, we need to be praying for this. Hey, we need to serve in this way. Hey, we need to provide meals here. Hey, we need, uh, I mean, I got this idea to do this one thing because I see this one area of need. Great, great. And then the structure just comes behind it to support that. Right? And so this is what the the members then participate in, serving the needs of the body. And the picture is clear in Acts chapter 2. Right? So, all this to say is this is what the leaders do. This is what the servants, uh, the servant leaders do, elders, deacons. uh, Well, even more so. Here's who the leaders are the elders. Here's what the leaders do. Here's who the servant leaders are, deacons. Here's what they do, right? By the way, the deacons are, are there as servant leaders to ensure that the elders continue on in the word, the ministry of the word in prayer, right? That's why elders exist in the church. We see that in Acts 6. And then they're kind of servant leaders. If there does need to be structure while everybody's serving, then they oversee that, the deacons. You get it? but then everybody else is doing what I just mentioned. And then we talked about who the members are and what the members do. And this is the picture of the church. This is the picture of the church. Now, there's two more that are easier to understand. Gospel proclamation, the necessity of love, and, um, and then about being connected to the church. And all three of those are really important. They're just less misunderstood. But let me just say this, because my time's out. I wanna just encourage you to come back tonight. Like, just come back, I'll, like, come back tonight. You, you, I know the Saints game's at noon, right? And I know you got, you're gonna watch it. The Saints game's gonna be over. It's gonna be perfect timing. And come here, bring a dish with you. And, and let it, let's continue and finish this short series out. And we'll finish up with the last two aspects which is gospel proclamation and the necessity of love because I think they're both, well, I know they're both really important. They're essential. And then we'll talk about lastly, a few notes on being connected to the church. But please just come back tonight. There's nothing more important for you to do. Just one Sunday out of your whole year, right? If you don't wanna come to any other Sunday nights, which I hope you come to more than that. I'm just being, I'm exaggerating. Just come back tonight and let us, for no other purpose, but then to finish this out and you not to miss it. Okay, okay because next week we're gonna get back to, to Luke and we'll cover these last two and then we'll cover the, the, last as, the, the last aspect, which is being connected, okay? If you don't come tonight, I remember every face in this room, okay? Believe me, I have a really good photographic memory, okay? I'll remember if you're not here and I'll call you tomorrow. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and your word please God, I pray that you'd convict everybody in this room. Not one single person in this room would not come back tonight. And they would come back and we'd finish this out. But God, from what we've learned today, let us be people who understand the gravity of your church from all the introductions that we've done over these past three weeks. Let us understand the gravity of the church. Then let us understand, God, that you have, given the church characteristics in your word, that there's to be the supremacy of you, God, in the church. There's to be the authority of the scripture. There's to be the priority of holiness. And God, that there is to be qualified leadership, eldership, and qualified membership in the church. God, and, and help us then to, to also understand, as we talk about tonight, that the the church has the responsibility of gospel Mm -hmm. proclamation and the necessity of everything being in love. And God, I pray that you'd also teach us tonight about being connected. There's a few things that really need to be said about being connected to the church. And and I really pray that people come like is online church biblical Mm -hmm. or not? And I pray that you would bring people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.